Hi, readers. I'm Jordan. And I'm Katie. And welcome to Not Another Heroine, the podcast where we break down the best and worst fictional heroines, those swashbuckling ladies who have to work a little harder than expected for their happy ending. This week, we're reading The Undying King by Grace Draven, otherwise known as We Can Go Deeper. A little preface before we dive into this one. This is a novella, so it's shorter, but it contains um, very mature content, both violence and spice level. I don't know what like the spice standard meter is, but I would put this one way up there. Uh, not to sound like a total sexual heathen, um, but this is probably like a three out of five spice level. <laughs> Sorry. Really? <laughs> I feel like I just revealed something very. I, I mean. <laughs> well, okay. It's not. Okay. Maybe it's. Okay. There's a difference between like the amount of detail given and then the amount of times it happens in the book. And I'd say it doesn't happen mm. a lot in this book, which is what I prefer. Like, I don't want that to like overtake the plot ever. Um, I can see that. I think like my spice level is more like how much description is given and the, you oh. get everything. Yeah, it is very descriptive, but it's not um cuz like I feel like my higher spice levels are for things that are uh I don't know a diplomatic way to say this or like a not uh on the vanilla spectrum or is it on the like we're getting into this kind of spectrum. I feel like those are like the higher spice levels for me if they're in like graphic detail of like uh, more <laughs> engaging sex acts instead of just like regular sex. <laughs> this was regular sex. Okay, now readers, you know where we <laughs> fall. <laughs> yeah, this, well, okay, kind of as regular as it can be given this. That's study. true. That's true. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I've been ruined by uh, the romance by side of uh, book talk. <laughs> I'll admit that's fair, and I won't even go into the number of like historical romance novels. Yeah, wait a second, so. <laughs> we're roasting me over here. <laughs> okay, let me let me give a a small caveat here. Like historical romance, like is all romance, mm -hmm. right? That's mm -hmm. the plot is the relationship, but most of the plot, like in the historical romances that I prefer, it's like the back and forth dialogue and relationship and emotional like mm. development rather than like sex That's every five fair. pages. I feel so. like it forces uh, the author to really flesh out the relationship more because it has to be uh, realistic instead of just jumping straight into sex, which I feel like is like an interesting parallel to like real life relationships. Like a relationship isn't going to last if you just have sex. It's like the same in books. <laughs> Oh, no, you don't Getting say. deep in here. Yeah, like gross. That is all. <laughs> it's all conflict. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's about to get a lot. Uh, yep. <laughs> Why did you say it like that? <laughs> As you can see, we are children. <laughs> oh God, this is going to be a hard one to record. I'm turning. I I made myself turn red on that one. <laughs> Let's see how many like um sexual innuendos we can make during this episode because we're already up to like oh, five. God. I mean, I will I will turn it on, <laughs> girl. <laughs> <what> I did <laughs> there. Uh, for... 
we'll just do awkward pauses okay, after focus, each of them too focus yeah we'll just let you sit and simmer on it <laughs> you can sit on it <laughs> no i got it i was waiting that was the you know appropriate amount of time for the awkward pause <laughs> okay <laughs> You know, I could, I can't always tell with you because sometimes it's just that's fair. Tangent? Yep. Tangent? It's the like processing, you know, the little like loading bar. <laughs> okay. So uh, those caveats yes. in place, we will, we will dive in now. Um, we start in a dark place with this heroine and it just gets darker as the story progresses. So we meet Imogen. And she is taking care of her bedridden, dying mother, Neve. Now, we had to clarify the pronunciation on this one before we even started. We did not want to struggle with this with this name. So Neve is spelled N-I-A-M-H. If you are ever wondering if you see that in the book, <laughs> it is actually pronounced yeah. Neve. So we did our research before well, we started Well, thankfully, it's one. like an actual Irish name and not some just like random conglomerate of letters that are hard to pronounce. Like at least this one had YouTube videos on how to pronounce it. Yeah, we, yeah. we needed that. So Neve is, so she's lying in bed. She's coughing up blood. She can barely move. And out of nowhere, Neve insists that Imogen bring her this mysterious box from high up on a shelf. And this is like a jewelry box sized thing. Imogen's pretty exasperated at this point. She's like, mom, can you just drink your goddamn tea? Like, can you just, you're dying. Like, I just need you to drink this tea. The box has been sitting up on that shelf for like 20 years. Uh, but Neve is insistent. So Imogen goes and touches mm -hmm. this box. Now, a couple little twisty things kind of get thrown into the mix to like, intrigue the reader i would say um imogen is covered head to toe like wearing gloves inside and that's not because like neve is contagious or anything like no COVID <laughs> going on here it's just she's mysteriously like covered mm -hmm. head to toe so box in hand uh neve decides it's finally time to tell imogen a story she's been hanging on to for decades it seems like um yeah so to recap, mom's in bed, Imogen is the nurse caretaker, and now we have a box and a story. So Neve was a beautiful witch who had a very, very close relationship with the king of their country. I don't remember the name of the country. I don't remember the name of the king. Uh, but she was like living it up in the palace. She had her own suite. She was kind of rocking out as, you know, witch the in residence. favorite mistress. And then, yes. I was trying oh, to be more delicate. I was just going to come yep, out. That's exactly what's going <laughs> She the hot, the side hoe? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, I don't know that the king is married at this oh, point. Oh, that's though, true. Right? So uh, the main squeeze? <laughs> yeah. The main that squeeze. was the loading uh, silence, not the awkward silence. <laughs> um, okay. So Neve, when she's, you know, pretty and, you know, Banging it out with the king. Uh, so, so one evening, what a word to describe that relationship. <laughs> I, I, know, I don't know. We started off in a very <laughs> weird place, so it's, checks it's out. <laughs> okay, back to back yep, to the banging it out with the king. Telling so a uh, appreciate you bringing that right back up. <laughs> okay, a 
strange visitor arrives at, I think, the kitchen door, the palace door. I, I think that Neve is still living in the palace when this stranger arrives. And this man is basically a walking skeleton, like doesn't even look human. Every single inch of his skin is burned black. And Neve decides to take him in and nurse him back to health. She doesn't even know who he is because his mouth is so deformed and burnt he can't even speak. And after like several weeks of care, he improves and starts to look more normal. And in exchange for all her care, um, the man offers her a favor, anything she wants, and a key. I thought, not to totally immediately take a tangent, but I thought this was so spooky and fun. (laughs) Like the way that um, Grace Draven like describes this bit is fascinating. Like I just imagine all of these like bones and like sinew and flesh kind of like rolling out of nowhere to like form this body. Cause um, we'll get into it later, but it's just like all of these little pieces and they kind of like eventually over weeks and maybe months kind of forms together into a person. And the whole time Neve is like, nope, not going to open this motherfucking door. Not going to look. He's just going to do whatever he's doing. And then he'll disappear hopefully one day without killing me. Like he's just going to go do what he's going to do. Like not even going to look at this. Like girl, I feel that if someone was like repopulating their body in my house, I'd be like, nope, we don't go in that room. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like I don't think that was clear when I first described it. Is that like, yeah. Walking skeleton that is gradually becoming more human. Hella spooky. Like cinder by cinder. Yeah. It it is so, like you said, Mm -hmm. atmospheric. Like this is a story within a story and it's done so freaking well. I agree. Um, Yeah. So when... Neve wants to redeem this favor from this man. She she doesn't know who he is, um, at least at this point in the story. Um, she just needs to use this key to find him, and then she can have whatever she wants. This is what she's explaining to Imogen. And then she launches into um, the story of the ancient kingdom of Teneroth. And it's King... So it's King Sedata. I think. Sedata? What did we decide? Oh, that sounds worse. Yeah, Sedata. Sedata. <laughs> okay. They both sound bad, but <laughs> um, there was. There's always going to be a, at least one name that we definitely fuck up. Um, so this ancient kingdom of Teneroth exists, um, and King Sedata, the king of Teneroth, supposedly drank the living waters and became immortal, and then this kingdom disappeared off the face of the earth thousands of years ago and ex- it's like existence and the king's existence is like considered mostly myth and legend um nope <laughs> not at all <laughs> it's a uh, neat so neve's like so we have these two like different side stories and neve pairs them together and says you know hey like this skeleton that i took in and took care of that was actually king sedata um, and he was burned at the stake, uh, but because he's immortal, his body slowly put itself back together like cinder by cinder. And the key that he offered her would lead her to the vanishing kingdom of Teneroth. This was so fun because I feel like a lot of authors kind of like just bypass the whole immortality thing. But this is like the fucked up version of immortality. Like he literally cannot die, like was obviously burned alive tore apart and his body's like nope bitch you're still gonna be alive like i hope you're ready to get re put together (laughs) yeah like the 
it's not a lot of detail, but it's enough detail to make your like mm-hmm. shoulders hunch up and like like ooh, <laughs> just sympathy yeah. for like yeah, like this is this is what like you said, this is yeah. true mortality, and it's it's terrible. Um, so the important question here is like, just what did King Sedata do to get yeah. burned at the stake? So, well, <laughs> yeah, he is known as King Sedata the Fair. Um, so it's possible he had like a few jealous <laughs> ex-girlfriends, um, but <laughs> more on yes. that to follow. <laughs> uh, it's more likely tied to his other title, which he was known by later in life as Sedata the Butcher. Yeah. I'm going to guess that Dead someone yeah, got real true. tired of him butchering other people and they're like, well, now it's your turn, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but still, like the the amount of description she gives for like this dude who was burned alive and then like painfully, excruciatingly put back together against his will. Yeah. Because I don't think I've read a book that really talks about something so horrific like that but in enough detail that you're not like grossed out and stomach turning but enough to really get your imagination thinking Imogen very patiently listens to this story but she's a little over it she's been taking care of her mother for probably months at this point and not only is she exhausted she's probably just emotionally done too it's pretty clear right up front that Imogen has a like a lot of insecurities mm-hmm. in relation to Neve. There's like a lot of time spent dwelling on how beautiful Neve was mm. like back in her heyday as a witch. Yeah. Um as well as just like what a powerful witch she was, like like very forceful and dynamic personality. Like <laughs> shocker, Neve was a redhead <laughs> if after it all. works out. <laughs> It seems like every Neve character has red hair. Mm-hmm. Like, is your is your name Neve? Like, are you powerful and beautiful? Yep, red hair. Yep, you got red hair. <laughs> uh, um, so, I just got the sense that like Imogen just feels like a shadow of her mother. Mm. Like she loves her like very dearly. Like you never doubt that Imogen just wants to take care of her mother and loves her and is sad that she's dying. But it's also there's like this kind of double-sided piece to it that's kind of Um, an interesting characterization because i feel like it's always the main character is the neves of the world and you always hear about like the younger sister or the best friend who's kind of in the shadow but we never get that character as the main character so i thought that was kind of like interesting and unique about the story was it was about one of the not more passive but um, not the, you know, in the spotlight kind of person. Yeah, I, I also really like that. And it's not Imogen being resentful or anything towards Neve. She's just, that's who she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but Imogen, uh, she's also very resigned to the fact that once Neve passes, she'll be completely alone. Like... I forget the exact phrase in the in the book, but she like has this internal thought that like oh she'll never marry or have a family, and I think I think it's something along lines of like no handsome prince or no noble lord or even a poor farmer would ever have her. Yeah, I remember that line like randomly. It was very distinct and sad. <laughs> yeah, 
very, very sad. And like for reasons that have yet to be revealed at this point in the book. And I, I kind of love moments like this in the books. Like I like when the character is more downtrodden, mm-hmm. like has to overcome like sadness and like they start lower. Yeah. And they don't expect like a happy ending or a, I'm not saying that there's a happy ending in this book, but <laughs> like I like when it starts like this. Mm-hmm. I think it's more engaging because if the character already has everything, it's kind of like, okay, I mean, cool. And even when they have everything and then they lose everything and you have to like work through that with the character, it's kind of like, um, I can't think of the right word, but uh, not entitled. But when you start out from a low place, like you can really appreciate every good thing that happens instead of, you know, it being not quite what it was, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it's the it's the Cinderella aspect. Yeah. Yep. A little bit. Yep. That is exactly it. Yeah. yeah. It's more satisfying. I mean, it's why Cinderella, like, as a... Yeah, it's it's why that theme is so popular. Like, not necessarily the sin, exact Cinderella storyline, but like the whole downtrodden character like makes good. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's yeah. Especially when it's uh, they do it of their own fruition and not like someone saving them. It's always the more like, yeah, she's no fairy god working <laughs> her butt off for her happy ending. That's what we like to read. Mm-hmm. That's, why we, that's why we do this podcast, actually. <laughs> True. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's literally the tagline. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, but like it gets a little, like it's more sad. Like, so Imogen yep. <laughs> has no friends, like zero friends. So she and, and Neve have been living in this cottage on the edge of a small town. And like they only venture into the market very rarely. And Imogen is never allowed to leave the house without her gloves and cloak. She doesn't talk to anyone. Like, she's just Neve's shadow. Um, So, yeah, this is a very lonely existence. Um, But like we stated before, Imogen is in a very negative character. She's just seems resigned to life and kind of takes things as they come day by day. She's not resentful towards Neve. If anything, she seems almost in awe of her and, and like, grateful that she took such good care of her. Mm -hmm. But there's a bit of a plot twist here, um, and that is Neve isn't her real mother. Dun dun dun. Um, yeah, that will come to play later. So Imogen doesn't know who her parents are, and Neve never revealed them to her. And it's kind of fuzzy here at this point whether Neve knows who her parents are and just chooses not to tell her, or doesn't know. Yeah, uh, because. When I was reading this, was I right? low-key skipped past the part where it was revealed that Neve isn't her mom. And so we get to the end when they like talk more about like who her parents are. And I'm like, wait a second, but Neve's her mom. And it's like, no, no, it is not. <laughs> yeah. And so like Imogen has grown up knowing that Neve is like her foster mother, but doesn't know who her parents are. And Neve either doesn't tell her because she doesn't know or doesn't tell her because it's important that she doesn't tell her. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, it's Imogen has a kind of sad little existence here. Um, but <laughs> back to back to the mysterious king of Teneroth. Um, so Neve is, you know, bedridden, clutching this jewelry box. And she whispers like a little incantation because she's a witch, by the way. Um, and 
The box pops open and there inside lies this beautiful pendant. And she tells Neve to take this pendant because it's the key uh, and seek out the king because she believes the king of Teneroth, uh, Sedata the Fair, can cure Imogen of her curse. Hmm. Imogen is cursed. Interesting. So could it possibly have something to do with like the gloves all the time and the lack of marital prospects? I'm going to guess yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, Imogen is like pretty skeptical of both of the king's existence and the idea that she can be cured. Uh, but Neve is all like, listen up, girl, like this bitch owes me a favor <laughs> and I haven't collected it yet and I've been saving it for you. Aww. So go find this king. Here's the key. Um, but she, Neve also has this very, I'm sorry, kind of cliche line and moment where she's like, please forgive me for what I did. And no, we have no idea what she did, uh, in this moment, but she begs Imogen for forgiveness and asks Imogen to quote, let her go. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Imogen removes her gloves and then lays her bare hands against Neve's face for the first time in her entire life. And then um, Neve dies instantly. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So that's a lot. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. Imogen is, is cursed and pretty pretty badly. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, she can't touch anything. Because it's crazy. Well, I mean, I think she... No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, because it's kind of crazy when you think about it, though. So if she's cursed, where everything that she touches dies, you have to think of all the times that you have, like, auxiliary touches with people, like, unintentional, like, bumping in the street, or, like, um, especially in the time frame that this takes place, like, she can't really go to the market unless she's totally, completely bundled up. Because if you're in a crowd, you could just accidentally mow down a bunch of people by, like, bumping into them. And there's also a part, I think it's a little bit later, but we can talk about it now, where she talks about how, like, she's, like, soaked in, like, sweat, like, drenched. And I cannot fucking imagine having to wear all of these layers all the time. Like, you would just be feel so hot and, like, damp. Like, oh, God. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Like, she never lets a single inch of skin show. Like ever, yeah. And it would like it's a little bit easier on your face because no one's gonna like reach out and touch your face mm -hmm. randomly. Yeah, generally, especially if you have like a hood on. But um, and I think I think her curse only like applies to people. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty serious. Yeah. Um, God, I can't imagine. And it would feel weird too because like even inside your own house, you can't take off all of your layers because your stepmom, foster mom is there. And like, what if you accidentally like bump into her when you're in the kitchen or something? So it's like at no point are you really allowed to take off all of these layers. Well, and then imagine what it's like to live never knowing like human touch. Yeah, that would like, be wild too. Because even, <laughs> this is going to sound so sad, but like, uh, you know, like if your significant other or partner is gone for a while and like, you don't really, I feel like in American culture, like touch people uh, like outside of romantic relationships often. And so you kind of get that like touch starved feeling and then you get a hug from someone and you're like, oh my God, like this touched my soul. So I can only imagine that on steroids. <laughs> I, hmm. uh oh. <laughs> so I am not a, 
<laughs> I don't know if you can pick up on this, readers. I am not a touchy-feely person at all. Um, like, don't like hugs, don't touch me kind of Unsurprising. person. Um, <laughs> I know. I, I have a few friends who, like, just force it on me, like, no, I'm hugging you, oh. and you have no choice. And so, like, there's... There's a select few people like I will tolerate it with, but like in general, I'm like, no, don't, there's, there's a line, don't cross it. That's fair. Um, I feel like I'm kind of that way with people, uh, just like friends. Like I don't like hugs from friends or even like hugs from family members, but like significant others, I'm one of those like, we're going to hold hand in the grocery store. (laughs) Yeah, that's me. (laughs) Yeah, I just... There's no way to comprehend like what this life would be like yeah. never touching anyone. God. Like no matter how much you dislike like physical touch like from like random strangers or even close friends like to some extent everyone like likes human touch and needs it like we're humans we're animals that's kind of like part of our nature. Mm-hmm. Um and the anxiety too. The like nervousness. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine like the distress that even if you did take off a layer, the fear that you're gonna accidentally like fucking kill someone. Like ugh. Yeah, what a what a horrible way to like <laughs> live. Yeah. And then like as a kid too, like as a small child who wants to like children like learn the world through touch. Oh, like that's so sad. I didn't even think about like little girl Imogen wanting like a hug or like scraping her knee and she can't get the like coddled because she'll murder you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um we warned you that this was a it starts in a dark place and it gets darker. And this is not even the darkest nope, place we go. Not at all. <laughs> So the story now shifts to a completely different scene. Different characters um, were introduced to. So we're in a palace and we with there's a handsome prince there and a dark wizard. Like, I'm just going to call them what they are because they have names. I just don't remember what they are. Nope, I don't either. <laughs> like, we meet, I think we meet the handsome prince twice in this entire book and we yeah. meet the dark wizard three or four times. I want to say his um, name is like Hayden or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is Hayden of Castigar. That's my, the first time I've heard his name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that sounds right. I, I do, something I do appreciate about this author a lot is that her names for both her places and her people always like fit the setting. I could see every that. time. Yeah, because all of the names and but, they all kind of give the same spooky vibe of like. Scotland, Ireland, foggy, cold. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this Hayden, uh, the prince, I just can't. I'm picturing Hayden Christensen now. The You know who that is? Uh, Star Wars that plays Anakin? Yeah. I love him. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I mean, he's got like prince vibes too. With, he does. Like, his long curly hair. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, so. yeah. See, now I like this character, even though he turns out to be a dick. (laughs) Just put a pretty face on it and it goes downhill. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's not a terrible character. We'll we'll get into that later. Anyway, this prince is grumbling about the fact that he needs access to certain trade routes. And he can obtain these trade routes um, if he's like has proof that he's engaged to this lost princess of the country controlling the the trade routes. Um, Again, like missing names here. Um, and apparently I, I took it to mean that this betrothal agreement has been in place for years. That's how I took it. Um, like 
Yeah, so he's supposed to be, you know, engaged to this princess, but this princess has been missing since she was a child. I have no idea who this could be. Weird. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, Uh, we don't have a random, you know, girl in the middle of a forest with no parents. Coincidental. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, So the prince charges this dark wizard to track down the, quote, old witch Neve, who was rumored to be sheltering the princess after she fled the kingdom 20 plus years ago. Um, so this dark wizard, who is a bad dude, um, he's like, fuck yeah, I'm going to go meet this famous witch Neve and get rich all at the same time. So he sets off with a troop of soldiers to go collect the princess. I and this is liked this, that he had ulterior motives because a lot of the times we get these, uh, villains or side characters that are very one dimensional, but I loved the fact that he was even like internally like, okay, yeah, I'll do what the prince says, but like, I'm going to go on this side quest to get rich. Like I appreciated that because like who, uh, you have these like rich, powerful wizards and they're just doing the bidding of the Royal family all the time. Like doubt, like they are obviously looking out for themselves, but this is one of the first books where they're upfront about that. Like, yeah, like this dude makes no qualms about the fact that he's like doing this because like he wants to, not because he's being told yeah, to. Yeah, I appreciated um, that. Yeah, and this, you know, I've mentioned before that I don't like perspective switching a lot, but this is like an instance where it works mm-hmm. because it's not drawn out. It's not long. Like you're not meant to sit in this character and like understand these characters. It's like sh- just meant to drive the plot along. Yeah, so you because know I going think on. some of the later chapters – um this guy's point of view is only like a page, page and a half. So you don't get yeah, like a robust. Yeah, I, I appreciated that because it's like a fun switch scene, but it's not excessive. You just get enough info that you like no. need. Exactly. And, and keep in mind, like we've talked about a lot so far, and this is a novella. This is mm-hmm. a short book. It's only like um, 168 and- pages, 170 pages. Yeah, I mean... I honestly wonder if she could flush this book out more and like turn it into like a more full length novel because it reads like it's more of an outline. Mm-hmm. It does. Um, I I agree with that. So meanwhile, uh, back to our forest cottage, Imogen has dutifully like buried her mother and set about taking care of the house. She's like basically figuring out what to do with her life because there's like, no in hell, she's setting off to this, like, mythological kingdom with nothing but a pretty necklace to guide her. Like, she's like, no, it's not my jam. Like, I'm going to figure out my life and just keep not touching people. <laughs> so so she's dwelling on her life with Neve and kind of, like, in her own way, grieving the loss of her mother um, and, like, kind of thinking about her childhood. And there's an interesting glimpse into Neve's personality when... Imogen describes this beautiful mirror that Neve kept in a chest and never allowed Imogen to touch. Um, this was a it's kind wild, of like those things, like yeah, it was a wild interaction. I think we can all relate to this. <laughs> yeah, like I, this was a really random kind of um, addition to the story, but I think it it adds so much to understanding both Neve and Imogen. Mm-hmm. Cause you um, kind of get the impression that Neve is kind of one of those, uh, not self-centered, but, uh, 
yeah, like self-centered, like focused on things that she has. And it's an interesting dichotomy because she's obviously, you know, taken in this child and it's not actually her kid, but she's taken care of, you know, Imogen for the last 20 years. But she's also like, this is my fucking mirror. Don't touch it. <laughs> yeah. And that's what kind of Imogen described is like she remembers like when she was a kid, like probably seven or eight years old and like she wanted to play with the pretty mare and Neve just like snatches it away from her like yells at her for touching it and to like never touch it again and I think she says she gets like spanked too right yeah Yeah. like Neve went full like I don't know I don't know how to describe (laughs) it but angry mom angry angry like unjustifiably angry. yeah um mm-hmm. but this mirror was supposedly a gift from the king that neve had a relationship with um yeah so this will be interesting Imogen- we need to um make a note to come back to this because this characterization like now having read the book and then going back through that characterization is so important for the last bit when like the secrets revealed like uh readers uh, list hold on to this little tidbit like the vindictiveness the kind of like over possessiveness like keep that in mind (laughs) yeah this was super good like character building like and it's so subtle yeah like so subtle because even now it's like just now i'm connecting the dots (laughs) Yeah, there's a there's a huge reveal at the end of this book, um, and we're gonna keep we're gonna keep it to ourselves and just and just sit on it. <laughs> but um, yeah, Neve is um, Neve was a good mom, but she had some clearly has some issues. Mm-hmm. And Imogen, in like remembering this like childhood thing that happened, she never went back to the mirror. Like she wasn't that kind of kid, like that to push the button. She's like, oh no, I'm so sorry. Like I love you, mommy. Like. I'll never touch your stuff again. But um, now that Neve is dead, Imogen's like, well, she ain't going to yell at me now. <laughs> so <laughs> Let me take a and look. I think she, she, I think she breaks the mirror, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, it like immediately shatters. <laughs> yeah, which, okay, so maybe Neve was right. Yep, like, don't yep. touch my shit. But, but that was also um, like an interesting interaction because you get Imogen who finally kind of uh, takes action for herself for seemingly the first time and not having to be like so concerned about other people and immediately is she's like almost proven by the universe that she shouldn't do that so it's like an interesting like no uh i know you want to like do something on your own but don't and she's like okay i guess i'm just not gonna do anything for myself (laughs) imogen is a very like she's a not a sad character like when you're sitting in her internal thoughts Mm -hmm. but like a lot of sad things happened <laughs> yeah. to her. And it's just, just like, like back to back wow. too. <laughs> yeah. And then Imogen, like, so she breaks this mirror, unfortunately. And she like kind of deep dives into Neve's old journals. Mm-hmm. And like upon reading these journals, she realizes, like she discovers just how close of a relationship Neve had to this like old king. Because um, Neve describes in detail. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And then I think Imogen's like a little embarrassed by reading like I mean, these interactions. I cannot imagine like reading my mom's <laughs> diary about her like hot boyfriend. Like I think I would rather die. 
Yeah. Uh. Uh-uh. Like. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like Neve goes into detail, like how vir- virile. Oh yeah, whatever that word is that authors love to use when describing men. (laughs) Every single time. Um, Yeah, so I think like Imogen's on this like exploration quest in the house, like going through everything that she didn't like couldn't go through before. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she she gets back to this box like that's now unlocked, and she like she just can't help it. Like the necklace is still sitting there, and it's so pretty, and she just has this thought that she wants to wear something beautiful just one time which i thought was really touching um and then but huge mistake (laughs) like the mirror was a mistake the journals were a mistake this necklace was a huge mistake um so yeah she puts this thing on and this necklace like becomes alive the pendant starts glowing and growing and like there's like these silver snakes kind of get all twisty and alive and like wrap around her neck and like upper body and like melt into her skin oh i got nauseous reading this part like i uh, even thinking about it right now i'm like you because it's just uh the way it's described is it's like embedded in her skin but like raised up a little bit so it's like just under the skin but you can feel it that makes me fucking queasy like i uh, oh my god so i got nauseous as she's like panicking and i'm like yeah girl like i would be panicking too i feel that (laughs) Yeah, it's it's like the descriptions are super cool. That's what this author does really well is all of these descriptions are very vivid and you can picture it immediately. I think the cover of this book has the necklace um, on the king. Oh. You can see the detail. I didn't even – now I want to go like look back at the cover because I did not even – oh, my God, it does. <laughs> well, uh, interesting. That was a real live reveal. <laughs> <laughs> so okay Imogen's freaking out she's got like legit silver veins and swirls all over her neck and arms and now that this thing is like embedded in her she can suddenly see a glowing silver path in front of her leading out of the cottage to somewhere um so she's kind of like freaking out like this is not <laughs> <Fair>. good <laughs> like she does she doesn't like it she can't get the necklace off like now there's this weird silver path and she's like kind of a like obviously she's had to be a homebody uh her entire life and now she's just got to i don't know potentially follow this random silver path because like that's all she can see mm-hmm. um this was a nice like but, forcing function because i don't think mm-hmm. um so like i get this is fake like it's a fiction story but i almost feel like her characterization would be inconsistent if she went off to go find this uh you know fake or not fake but mythical town and city and king without this forcing function of the necklace like i think she would have been content to just stay at home and live her life but now all of a sudden she's like fuck this necklace like i need to get out of here and get this out of my body like i guess i need to go find the king yeah it's that's exactly what it is like you said it's a forcing function and like as a heroine she's very practical Mm -hmm. she's horrified (laughs) she doesn't want to do it but she like comes to the conclusion that like if she wants to be rid of this thing she's gonna go have to follow the path which almost certainly leads to teneroth right Mm -hmm. um so she puts a little pack together with enough food and water bundles up in her little cloak (laughs) and she's like sets off down the glowing path Sounds so uh, like um, Wizard of Ozzy, but it's very dark and sad when it's actually happening. <laughs> very um, the like, but her travel time is 
is short. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't even think it's a page. No. Like, she sits on a path and, like, had this been a full-length book, her travel from the cottage to this next point could have taken chapters. Yeah. But really, we kind of skim over it. So, like, after a couple days of traveling, this silver path key thing leads her to the edge of this canyon. Um, And just out of nowhere, this great stone bridge kind of shimmers into an existence and Imogen's like well this is fucking weird but <laughs> guess I'm going on uh, this fake bridge path, <laughs> yep the silver path is putting me on this bridge and you know this is a canyon and that's a fake bridge but I have to go down <laughs> it because there's no other choice this feels not safe um, <laughs> yeah and so she you know steps foot on this like like previously invisible bridge and notices that it's lined with tons of statues, um, some of which are missing their faces. And there's like others where the inscription at the base is like scratched out, like chiseled out. Um, yeah. So her walk across this bridge is a little like ominous, like, oh, huh, this doesn't look like a happy fairy tale kingdom here. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> um, I love how the vibes of this whole beginning part are ominous. Like it's kind of scary. It's kind of spooky. And when she's looking at the statues, you really get that kind of like eerie, like someone's watching you hairs stand up on the back of your neck feeling as you're like, as she's walking through, you know, the bridge and then onto the city, you're just kind of like spooked out and you're not really sure why. And then like, ooh, it's a spooky kind of yeah. scary feeling. Yeah, the vibes in here are very, like, gloomy and dark and very dark. Um, this would be a good October read or, like, early November. Yes. Yeah. she So she continues down this bridge and realizes that, well, yeah, Teneroth really does exist. Um, but it's like a crumbling pile of ruined buildings and abandoned structures. It's like I kind of pictured ancient Rome. Okay. Um, I can see that very empty like huge palaces and temples but they're all like half destroyed or forgotten or crumbling i Um, imagined um this might be a slight tangent but have you read the book um i think it's called deathless i don't think so um so it's about it's like a russian folklore almost but then put into like a fantasy romance kind of esque thing and um i got the same vibes from this book that i did from that one because there's like this spooky part where the main character goes into the city and it's um nobody's living in it but it feels alive and it's this very kind of like haunting scary spooky um, like unsettled feeling. And it was the exact same vibes of how I imagined this scene too. And great book. So if you want to read it, read it. <laughs> huh. I'm going to put that on my list. Mm-hmm. It's not like, I love the vibe of this, this book. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. It's the like unsettled, like, Ooh, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially in like fantasy romance where like, there's so many, oh, it's a dark fantasy, it's a dark romance, but really it's not. Yeah, because you feel you safe a, the whole like time. An angsty character. Yeah. 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 This is actually, I this feel is, like, actual dark fantasy, like, dark fantasy romance. Yeah, this is very atmospheric and, like, it's okay if you don't agree with some of the elements of this book, which we haven't gotten to mm-hmm. yet, but, like, it's it's dark and it's not meant to appeal to everyone. No. <laughs> that sounds more ominous, I feel. 
than it is. It's pretty ominous. Yeah, but it's like um, not dark in the way that that might seem um, if you haven't read it and you're listening to this. Uh, but it's like dark in the characterization and the setting and the plot. Like it feels spookier because I feel like, like you just said, like a lot of fantasy romance, you feel like you're told that it's supposed to be spooky, but you don't feel that kind of like unsettled spooky feeling. You're like, oh, it's just, you know, a dark day in a nice place. This is like a dark day in a dark place. <laughs> yeah, that, that's actually, that's a perfect description. And can you imagine like, I've if you've ever seen like a headless statue, they're creepy. Oh, right? they're creepy headless as fuck. <laughs> they're terrifying. And then yeah, you have like, a whole bridge covered in them. <laughs> ugh, ugh, no, no. Um, don't love it. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-mm. Well, so she so she crosses the bridge. She's creeped out. She's wandering these like abandoned streets, and she's wondering how the heck she's going to find King Sedata um, when she sees this. And <laughs> forgive me, I don't know how to say this word. I think it's cataphlac. I have cataphlac. no idea what that was. I skipped completely past that word. I'm like, okay, so some kind of like broken statue thing. Because what is that? Okay, so I so you have to read this book on your Kindle because I don't think there's a, a hard copy version. So click on this word when you see it. And <laughs> I another reason I love this author a lot is because she doesn't shy away from using like the appropriate big word yeah. <laughs> in the right circumstance. Um, so this is a, like, kind of like an effigy, I think, oh. like a huge, um, tomb, like not quite like a sarcophagus, but it's like a huge replica of a dead dude and it's meant yeah. for like a dead person. Yeah. Uh, Merriam Webster describes catafalk, catafalk. As an ornamental structure sometimes used in funerals for the lying in state of the body, a pall-covered coffin-shaped structure used at requiem masses celebrated after burial. It, it got so much spookier. I could have probably done without that definition. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, such a cool, like, use. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know it was a cool word. I, and I I love finding words that I don't know. Uh-huh. Um. I also love the dichotomy of this, like now really understanding what this word is, because um, you have a king who can't die on top of like a funeral, like box thing. Love it. <laughs> I wish I had understood what that word was when I was reading it. Yeah. It, so I think they touch on that, that exact thing. that you just, Yeah. They just touch on that kind of sense of that dichotomy later on in the book. Um because it's like a it's like a gigantic fuck you to the king. Mm-hmm. They built it to like be like, "Hey man, you can't die." <laughs> but we're going to make this for yep. you. We're going to pretend <laughs> like you can't die. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, so it's it's a cool moment. Um well, not cool. It's obviously very dark and <laughs> spooky. <laughs> kind of scary. It's like a well done by yeah. the author, but d- terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Well, Imogen is um looking at this um box statue replica thing i'm not gonna even try and say it again yeah um and she realizes like wow whoever this dead guy was he was he was hot (laughs) like he was like (laughs) 
like beautiful. Like she's kind of in shock at how like godlike in appearance that this dude is portrayed to be. Mm-hmm. And so like she's just staring in wonder at this thing when suddenly like <laughs> she <laughs> Puppos. Uh, she feels yeah, she feels a blade at her throat. Mm-hmm. I also love Thank you podcast dog (laughs) podcast dog the mascot um i also love that when she's looking at this like statue she has a moment where she's like okay yeah he's super good looking but he also has this like meanness to his features and i don't know there are some people that are obviously drop dead gorgeous beautiful but you get those very uh mean vibes from them like haughty kind of uh, aggressive, like self-centered, like malicious uh, features in yeah. them. And the way she's describing it is she's kind of like in the book, she's like, Ooh, I'm kind of like freaked out by this. Like, yeah, he's good looking, but I don't think I'd ever want to meet this person in real life. <laughs> he like, she, I think she says he had like a cruel twist to his mouth. Yeah. Um, Freaky. It, it makes me think of, um, you know, the dude who plays, so in Harry Potter, mm-hmm. the dude who plays Draco Malfoy's dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that's someone who, like, I would say, if I'm remembering correctly, that's someone who would be, like, classically beautiful, but, like, looks mean. Yeah. Yes. And I kind of feel like there's some scenes in uh, pulling back to Twilight again. Uh, in the Twilight movie where uh, Robert Pattinson, you get that like very beautiful vibe, but he kind of has like a mean twist to his face where you're like, he's almost like condescending or like, like you're beneath me. Like I'm a God to you. Like you kind of get that vibe just from their face. And that's how I imagined the statue, like a very like, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I, I had never thought of Twilight in that sense, but I need to rewatch it. And yeah, I've seen it so many okay. times. It's like, constantly on play in my brain (laughs) (laughs) well um yeah so blade at a throat and like from like slightly to the left and behind her like she hears this voice ask her very like i don't know i imagine very ominous and (laughs) rally like who are you Mm -hmm. and Imogen realizes immediately that Neve wasn't fucking around <laughs> and uh, Sedata the Fair was aptly named because she is face to face with the King of Teneroth. Um, so Imogen, like very practically, like, well, um, I'm Imogen. I'm the daughter <laughs> of Neve. <laughs> and uh, by the way, your key has possessed me and if you could please take it off that would be really nice and then i'll leave your kingdom forever i love how imogen Um, is just like straight up like that's her characterization the whole time she's kind of like unscared uh, of people she's just like well i'm just gonna be straightforward and just tell you what i need like there's no self-doubt no she just like comes out and says it i love it I imagine when, like, you can touch someone with your pinky finger and kill them, like, that gives you a little bit of self-confidence. Like, try me, bitch. I could see that. And it's kind of also interesting because she obviously has never really interacted with a lot of people. So I feel like she kind of has that naive, like, oh, you just tell people what you need and what you're feeling and everything will work out fine. (laughs) 
I hadn't thought of her like in that sense, but that actually that makes a lot yeah. of sense because you're right. She's never like talked to <laughs> yeah. anyone before, so she's just gonna be like, "Huh, okay, well, this is who I am." Yep. And, and I it's think okay. I think we <laughs> please don't kill me. <laughs> I think we get a highlight of it too from uh, Sedata's perspective, where he's like kind of caught off guard. He's like, "Oh, this is." kind of refreshing like she's just telling me what she needs and what she's gonna say there's no like you know nefarious second meaning behind anything she's just like do 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 <laughs> can you get this thing off my neck <laughs> yeah because he, he like it does i think switch to his perspective like right away um in this moment and he's like well normally i kill people right away when they like trespass in my kingdom um <laughs> but huh this chick's kind of <laughs> she's just so polite <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so this blade that he's resting against her throat, I also like this. It's not like a sword or anything. Like, he carries a glaive, is how they describe it. I don't is know that what like that axe? is. I don't know. Because he carries an axe and a short sword. Is the short, oh my god, short sword. But he also has the glaive thing, but I don't think I've ever even... Like, I don't know what that is. I think is. it's one of those curved, <gasps> oh, rounded shit. axe. It's like a... Uh, I just Googled it. So it's like a long stick with like a scary looking knife attached at the end not what i was expecting Ooh. that's it got scarier i don't think i'd like that <laughs> oh no huh. well uh okay imogen keeps it together though. <laughs> I, surprisingly i would have peed myself <laughs> <laughs> when we all at this point uh, like yeah. yeah super hot deathless well, guy comes at you with a very pointy scary looking knife thing immediately crumbled <laughs> but please don't hurt me i'm just also, here to get the thing out of my neck i put it on because <laughs> i wanted to feel you know pretty and now it's in my skin <laughs> dude i almost imagine her like she's sta standing there and like her eyeballs are going back and forth between like the effigy and him like effigy <laughs> him like oh it's the same dude Fuck oh me. no <laughs> <laughs> he does look mean in person <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh imogen is just like yeah uh hi <laughs> nice to meet anyways. you anyways um but sedata is actually pretty civil to her throughout this after he like scares the shit out of her initially he kind of backs off a little bit and he listens to her explain like okay you're imogen why the fuck should i care about imogen Oh, but I do know Neve. Like Neve nursed me back to health, and like she saved my life. Not that it like it would repair itself eventually, but you know. Um, so he does remember Neve very fondly, and she he's super sympathetic to Imogen when she tells him that she died. Um, so they have this kind of interesting back and forth, almost like a casual conversation, um, and then. Out of nowhere, he oddly questions why Imogen is bundled up in so many clothes because Teneroth is described as having this like jungle-like climate, like very hot and humid. Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> Imogen is like, huh, I guess this is the point where I uh, explain this curse <laughs> thing. So she like kind of huddles deeper into her cloak and her gloves and she's like, well, I'm kind of cursed and uh, everything I touch dies. <laughs> casual, <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> very casual. Um, and she's a little, I imagine her being like kind of ashamed as she's yeah. describing this. I got that impression too. Um, um, 
He does not have the reaction she <laughs> No, not uh, at all. <laughs> not at all. This kind of like, came out of like he, left field, but I was like, okay, it makes sense in hindsight. But at the time I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, what? Like, this is weird. Like, it sets him off. He like lunges forward and fully embraces her. Yep. And then uses his bare hands to like grab her chin and hold on. And just stays. Nothing happens. He just grabs her face with his bare hands and is like holding her. And she's frozen. She's stunned. She's like, oh my God, why is this? He was going to kill me. And now he's hugging me and someone is touching me for the first time. Um, It's very weird for her. Yep. She's feeling the whole range of human emotion at this moment. (laughs) Yeah. But also, it's Meanwhile, kind of he, like <laughs> funny, um, in not in hindsight, but like, what if nothing happened? He like touched her, and then it's like, yeah, sure, you have the power of death, but I'm still alive. And she's like, I swear to God on other people, this works. <laughs> like, I don't know why it's not working right now. <laughs> well, and that's that's where he realizes, like, because he's having the time of his his life because he can suddenly feel again, yep. like he feels alive. That was a like fun, the difference between him just yeah a fun like description in this is because like a, he's immortal but you don't really think of the implications of that like and he describes it as almost like going numb like you've been alive for so long that you don't feel anything and so it's this fun like he describes dying as like being able to feel again and it's like that's super deep but also I love it <laughs> yeah it was. If you sit and think about like what this character of like Sedata the Fair has suffered through for thousands of years, his kingdom is thousands of years old. He's so old that they like, they don't, people don't believe he actually ever existed. Um, And to suddenly like feel like the wind on your face and feel like hunger probably Mm -hmm. being tired. It's just wild. So, and then she's like, is this what people feel like (laughs) (laughs) for the first time ever? So they just hang out like that for a while. Like there's a few <laughs> seconds of minutes of them just embracing and eventually they break apart. And he explains that like, well, he has no idea to break her curse. Uh, he can certainly do some research and try, but unfortunately she's stuck in Teneroth until the end of the summer because the magical bridge thing only appears at the solstice. So he offers her a place to stay and food and water and tells her she's welcome and he'll like walk her to the palace. And um, yeah, so she's like, well, I don't really have anywhere else to go. Um, It's not (laughs) like I can go hang out with my friends. Uh, So she just has no other options. And she agrees to, you know, stay the summer with King Sedata in Teneroth. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it would be wild too to all of a sudden you can touch someone for the first time. Cause I think um, Grace, Draven does like a really good job of describing the sensation. Like she talks about how Imogen's like heart is racing and she's like terrified, but she's also like, whoa, like touch. (laughs) Fascinating. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, she's never been touched. Yeah. And so I think that's part of the draw for staying more. She's like, oh, there's someone I can hang out with and we can Mm -hmm. be friends. Yep. And And not accidentally murder. Yeah, it's it's very it's such a cool premise. Um, mm-hmm. But I think we're gonna. This is kind of a cliffhanger, so I'm sorry. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, readers slash listeners. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna stop here. 
So from our shelf to yours, we'll see you on the next page. Hi, readers. If you'd like to help us pick our next book, send us a message on Instagram. Or if you'd like to just listen, we post new episodes every Monday on Spotify, Amazon, or Apple Music. Thanks for listening.